0: God, I thank you so much for this day. Um, Lord, man, that's our heart's cry. Lord, lead us. Father, I pray for every single person in this room. There are people in this room today that uh, don't want to be here. And, um, you know, maybe they came because they left someone else. or uh, They don't know why they came here, Lord. But I believe and, and we know that you're sovereign, that you have a plan. And, God, it's not about whether this church is become someone's home. It's about what you want to do today in this moment. And I pray that their hearts would be open to that, Uh, Lord. I pray that, uh, man, my words wouldn't get in the way of Your words, uh, because Your words are life, and that it would, man, like she said, penetrate hearts. God, the hurting, the broken, the walls, uh, man, the things that have sometimes get so loud that prevent us from hearing the truth of Your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that You would help me to preach Your word and only Your word, and that I wouldn't get in the way. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. How you guys doing today? All right, yeah, that's well better than the other day when you are like, "Ooh." So, hey, welcome to the Remnant. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time or your first time in a while, we are in the midst, it's a fancy way of saying in the middle, David, of a series called the parables, and um, it's gonna, you're not going to believe what this is about, Luke. It's about the parables. So, Jesus, we discussed last week, <clears throat> um, it actually says that Jesus spoke to them and taught them in parables and did not say anything to them without also speaking to them in parables. Isn't that interesting? So last week we talked about what is a parable. Well, we're like, oh, it's like a fable. Not really. It's a story. The word means cast aside or cast alongside. So it is a story to help us understand and highlight a biblical truth. Make sense? For a way for us to understand in a deeper way. And um, I like to think that Jesus tends to know us. If, we, if he just gives us the truth, we do the thing where we're like, okay, I get it, and we walk away. But he makes us work for it. He makes us work for the truth so we understand. <clears throat> and that's that's the gist of it. So today, interestingly, even unintentionally, though I had a list of all the parables we're going through, stuff's so not a coincidence. The parable we're going to discuss today actually in the book of Matthew follows the parable we discussed last week. So last week we talked about uh, the lost sheep, right? lost coin, the prodigal son. In the book of Matthew, Matthew tells us that right after, or in the midst of the parable of the lost sheep, he then goes in and talks about right after that. This is interesting. I'm going to bring it up again, but it's pretty powerful. Right after that, he talks about, it's a section in your Bible that says, restoring a brother or sister. And it talks about how the church, how God's people, his disciples are supposed to treat another believer When they sin, what's sin? Mess up, do something wrong. He gives us specific instructions on how to react and deal with a believer when they make mistakes. So we get the parable of the lost sheep. Hey, I'll leave the 99 and find the one. When they get brought back, this is interesting, how do the 99 treat the one? He tells us how do you treat that person who's ran away, made a mistake. And then right after that, we get to the, I'm spitting today, I don't know why. The parable that we're going to talk about today. When we talk about Christianity, there's certain words that should come to the forefront of our minds. Love, right? I used to say this. Love, everyone, everyone loves love, right? You love love. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. But I've said this for a while, and I, I've kind of coined this for myself. I think people have a fear of grace. I think you have a fear of grace, I believe that you in this room, the Christians, and even those that aren't Christians, you have a fear of it too because it's not, you don't see it in this world. But Christians, you have a fear of grace. You're afraid because you understand intrinsically that if God offers you the grace that he's offered after everything you've done, that the expectation is, is that you pour that grace out on others, and we don't like that. That's the truth. We don't like to forgive the way that we're forgiven. Most of us. Why? Because we're hurt. And we realize that when we forgive people, it's like letting them off the hook. And we have this fear, right? Well, if I, if I forgive them too easily, they're going to do it again. They're going to hurt me again. They're going to wrong me again. And you're probably right. They might. But that's not up to us. <sighs> I was, I guess I'll say this, I am a, uh, probably in my flesh, this is one of those times when this is not a good business move, when I shouldn't say this, in my flesh, meaning the parts of me that aren't fully like Jesus yet, which there's a lot, the way that I probably, I won't say the way I was raised, but the way I learned to function in life is, I was, I was forgiving, I'm probably forgiving, but vengeful. Right? I didn't necessarily want... So you're like, well, Todd, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't want to necessarily hurt you if you wronged me, but I'm done with you. I'm shut off. I'll I'll literally... You don't exist to me anymore. That's probably my natural bent. Right? You're not going to hurt me. I don't need you. So So we'll start with that. But when I came to know Jesus... Didn't happen to me until later in high school, and I didn't get it probably till my early twenties, and I'm still not fully getting it. But um, I like to think I'm a little—I understand a little more. I—I I went to—I uh, wasn't raised a Christian. I went to a Christian college, and honestly, and I say this all the time, I had really high hopes for Christianity because I didn't go to church right away, which is not suggested. Okay, I got saved at this big play, they tricked me, I went back through a door, literally sort of like this, just imagine if I said, who wants Jesus, you raise your hand, I'm like, now you have to go through this door, and I'm not going to tell you what's back there, you just have to go. So I go back behind the door, they pray, they give me a New Testament, I'm forever thankful for that church, but no one really explained to me, hey, I think I filled a card. I don't think anyone called me, hmm connection team, interesting. Anyway, I never went to church again, but I read that New Testament because something changed in my heart, and so... I'm not being facetious here that I was like, holy smokes, these are the greatest people that ever walked the face of the earth. Right? Look at these people. Look at the way they're going to act. They forgive people. They love all the time. This is incredible. So when I went to a Christian college like two years later, I'm walking in going, I'm about to walk in and I'm going to hear, oh, you know, like, and see halos and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> How did I do that? And here's the thing. Weirdly enough, I realized that you guys are human. But I also realized that a lot of times Christians talked forgiveness but didn't walk forgiveness, that they had levels to forgiveness. There's a certain ceiling to it. The Not bad sins, pride, arrogance, um, bitterness, slander, those can be forgiven. In fact, we don't even confess those because... That's not a big deal. But the big ones, right, drunkenness and drugs and premarital sex and adultery and, you know, all of those kinds of things that are seen on the outside and you can't hide real well, those are a lot. We don't have to forgive those. Well, say we do, of course you're forgiven. But we don't really accept them back. Now, here's the thing. Before you go, man, I don't do that, really, what's your unforgivable sin? Because you have one. What's the thing that, oh, man, I hear it all the time. If someone did that, I just can't understand it. By the way, I'm not implying that there aren't things that people do that I can't fathom. Well, the reason is, is because when we have a uh, misunderstanding on what forgiveness is. The other thing, before I get on, this isn't in my notes, but I think it's so funny. Whenever I talk about forgiveness, I can't, I don't want to say it because this is my sarcastic side, but I'm inevitably going to get a bunch of questions asking me about the loopholes well, what if someone just keeps hurting me? Forgiveness doesn't mean restoration of relationship, Todd. I don't have to keep being friends with them. Maybe that's true, but let me ask you something. Why is that where your heart goes? Why does your heart want to find the loophole in forgiveness? Why does your heart want to find the place that the rule doesn't apply? Now, some of you, I'm going to tell you why. You're hurt, and you can't fathom the idea of letting it be okay what was done to you, right? Or you think you have to offer forgiveness willy-nilly, for lack of a better word, to just anyone out there. But what if you were called to do that? What if you were called to not be bitter and unforgiving to your spouse for what they did 10 years ago, two years ago, one year ago? What about your coworker? What about the person in your church? What about your pastor? What if you were called to not just say you forgive, but to want and desire for that person to be restored? That's what it says. You know what restored means? Put back in the place that they were. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? That's hard to accept. We want people to earn it. Well, they've got to prove they're really sorry. And if they prove they're really sorry, then we'll forgive them. That sounds good. And honestly, from an earthly standpoint, it makes complete sense. But is it biblical? Does Jesus say that? If your heart already, I'm, I'm going to call you out because it was nice last week, right? Because that's true. But this week, we've got to deal with this. If you're already upset at what I'm saying and arguing with me internally, you're exactly who I'm talking to today. Because regardless of the situation that may be very valid that happened to you or is happening to you, you have a block in your heart when it comes to forgiveness. And today we're going we're to read a parable that is terrifying and should terrify us as believers if we're unforgiving. Now here's the situation. Uh, I'm going to say it every week. You long-term Christians, okay, you know everything. You've heard 57 sermons on every single topic. So you probably, that's why I have to come up with weird names. Today I wasn't as weird. Because if you can guess what it is, you're already done. you already checked out. That's just how you are. I'm being real. That's how you are. Now then you're going to be thinking about Taco Bell or whatever else coming after this. I dare you. What do I say to the non-competitive people who get angry? I ask you gently. Either way, both sides, to consider today. Taking those earmuffs off and hearing this as though Jesus is saying it to you for the first time, not even what you've been preached before. Read the words, hear the words, and think about how it's, he's speaking to you today because here's the thing, he is. He's not speaking to the person next door. Some of you are like, man, I cannot wait for my husband or wife to hear this thing on unforgiveness. You've already slipped into a place that reveals your heart again. I'm going to say what I said last week. Very, very important. You are never the one teaching with Jesus. You understand? Me neither. You're never the one going, Yes, you're all unforgiving. You are always the subject of the story. We are always the ones in the position compared to Jesus of what? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the unforgiving servant. And when you think that you got it, some of you, some of you are like, I'm so forgiving. I thought I was too. I thought I was very forgiving until I realized I had an unforgivable sin and I used to say it. I cannot forgive people that did XYZ and then find myself in a position where I've committed or committing the same things. Isn't that wild? No, I didn't kill anyone. So in case you guys are going, "What did he do? What did he do?" right? It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Christianity, and I'll say this again later. I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to say this unequivocally completely In a way that maybe pushes your buttons, I hope I do. Forgiveness is not optional for the Christian. Not optional. I'll say it again because you're already finding the loophole, it is not optional for the Christian. It's not optional. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. Now I just told you the sections that came before. You can even look in your Bible. You have the, the uh, parable of the lost sheep, restoring a brother, right? If your brother sins and repents, if <laughs> your brother sins and repents, you've won your brother. Right there, it's over. You catch your sit, brother in sin. Isn't that interesting? If you catch your brother in sin and he repents, you've won your brother. Well, that only applies if they confess before we catch him, because otherwise they don't mean it. I know for a fact, a lot of you in this room believe that. Then you're lying to yourself about the moment you find yourself in sin that you, you're trapped in, right? It feels like, I, don't, I hate this, but I don't want to get out of it. It doesn't matter what it is, it could even be a hard attitude. But that's reality. So, then right after the whole direction, right? Hey, if your brother sins against you and he doesn't repent, take, a, take two or three with you to establish a witness. If it does not work, take him before the church, all that, right? If he doesn't respond to that, treat him as an unbeliever and a tax collector. Pretty powerful words. Okay, that, by the way, that handles the fakes. You know that? That handles the fakes. But right after that, Peter, the rock of the church, you got ahead of me, tricky people. You got ahead of me because they can't pay attention if you do that. You got to get rid of it. Erase it. There you go. See, you, you got to stay with me. I'm tricky. Right after this, Peter, the rock of the church, right, the leader of the apostles, this guy, he just had a, He had. he's bullheaded. Reminds you of anyone? Reminds me of me also shows where his heart is. So right after, keep that in mind. Now we can. Verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, (laughs) right after this, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Do I have to forgive him? He probably thought he was like special. He's like, seven times, Lord, because I'm willing to. I'm willing to forgive seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven times some section 70 times seven now by the way some of you all are like oh perfect you keep track right you got your journal how many times you forgave that person you're up to 35 you can't wait till you know what is it 40 some and then you're good right that's that's not right he, he's making hyperbole here he's giving a big number because that's that's a high number then he goes therefore here he goes the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent for us of several million dollars. Okay, let's just pick a number, five million. Y'all, any five million dollar people? Actually, don't raise your hand, but that'd be funny. Let's talk. Anyway, five million dollars, okay? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents, five million dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold... With his wife and children and everything that he had, all they had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So this guy comes before him. he's People owe him money, so once a year, right? King, he's like, hey, you're behind in your taxes. Pay up. So he's paying up. Bringing, I don't know what this guy was doing, but he owed him $5 million. He says, all right, I don't have it, Lord. Okay, well, I'm sell him, his kids, his wife, everything he has, and uh, that will at least make some of the payment. The guy falls on his knees as we all wouldn't. Please, please don't do that. Please have mercy on me. Something in that moment made the king, right, have mercy and have pity on him, feel for him. And he released him, let him go, and forgave the debt. Didn't even keep him in jail to punish him. Well, you don't have the money, I'm going to put you in jail. Released him, forgave him, it's over. But when the same servant went out, so he just leaves, he's happy, he's whistling a happy tune. I don't know what that would be. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That's about 16 cents. Five million dollars, 16 cents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Grabs him by the shirt, slams him in the wall, says, choke him. I don't know why he has to get, like, he's already got him by the shirt. Why you got to choke him, right? Shaking him, I think of a cartoon, you know, where their heads bobbing back and forth. He's shaking him and says, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison. This is so, so important. He went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt should pay the debt pretty hard to pay a debt while you're in prison isn't it when his fellow servants saw what had taken place they were greatly distressed concerned and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place then his master summoned him and said to him you wicked servant now we don't use wicked a lot right unless it's that play wicked and it's kind of become a playful thing wicked servants a pretty strong word it's a strong phrase evil you wicked, evil servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, so I can imagine going, I forgave you $5 million, and you won't forgive him 16 cents? In anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. I'll say this again. Who's that? That's you in the front row, in the back row, in the middle row. You. And so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, Todd, I thought you can't lose your salvation. Jesus says that a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. Your fruit's going to show whether you're a believer and only believers get that unconditional grace, right? Or the k- grace that comes with putting their faith in Jesus. We'll come back to that. So let's look at this. The compassionate master. How do we know he was compassionate? All it took was the guy falling on his knees, $5 million. P.S., some of y'all, like you all, like somebody owes you 20 bucks, and you're, you know, you're like a bookie. That's what it's called, right? And you come breaking legs. Or better yet, you're Christian. You would never do that. You just say, I will never loan them money again. That's what you do. I know how you are. Me too. I get it sometimes. Well, I don't. I'm just trying to make you feel better about you. But there's a lot of other areas. The very, so we know the, the, the master was compassionate because all it did was take him to fall down and say, I'm sorry, please. And he said, okay. Not only. He could have just said, all right, I'll give you more time to pay. But he said, you know what? You're never going to be able to pay this. I forgive you. Oh, you want us to put him in jail at least? No. Let him go. He's, his, his debt's clean. Five million dollars. So this compassionate master has compassion. At the end of the story, we find out his compassion has faded and is replaced with anger. So someone so compassionate says, you wicked servant. And he makes the comparison to at the amounts forgiven. Look what you were forgiven, $5 million, and you won't forgive 16 cents? And then we get this terrifying thing. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. At the college I went to, a lot of Christians I know, I've never met a Christian that, that says, I will not forgive. They don't, you don't say that. You say, yeah, I'll forgive him. But not from your heart. And it's shown what happens after that because you put them in prison. We'll get to that in a second. Prison doesn't have to be a jail with a cell. It's the prison of having to earn it and pay you back. Pay penance to you. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you, what's that? Put you in prison until you can pay $5 million. If one of you has $5 okay, a billion. It doesn't matter. The point is you don't have it to pay why did he do that? Because of the way you treated the one who owed you. The way you offered forgiveness. Here's why. You've heard the phrase, right? Those who have been forgiven much, forgive much. A Christian who understands their situation would never feel like they're in a position to not offer someone forgiveness. Jesus offered you forgiveness from your past, your present, and even your future sin. And you have the audacity To sit in the place of God and say what someone else is able to be forgiven from? Jesus sets the standard very clearly in a lot of ways. If you have anger, if you're angry at your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her. Let me put that in... Let me put that in terms for you. What he's saying is it's the same thing, right? It's just as bad because if you could get away with that person you're really mad at, killing them, hurting them without going to jail, you would. If you could sleep with that woman or that guy in the middle of your room at night and nobody would ever find out, you would do it. It's the same thing because it's the heart. So unless you have never done anything again, which we know isn't true, you are not in a position not to forgive someone sixteen cents. Well, Todd, it was way more than that. They broke me. They hurt me. That's I get it. And, and hear me. We're going to talk about it in a second. I I've been wronged. I've been wronged in my life. I have people right now, in this community, that I have to constantly forgive, because it never stops. There are about five people in this city that hate me so much, man. Anytime someone says, I heard something about you, it comes back to five people. I'm telling you, I promise you, three of them from the same family. You don't think there's a part of me that's like, I'm about to go unleash some wrath here, right? I, I want to fight back. I want to, Whatever it is I want to do, I want to do that. And I'm not going to lie, there are times my heart's not forgiving, but I can't tell how many times I end up doing something, right? I end up responding wrong, I'm bitter, I lash out at a brother or sister, and all of a sudden I recognize my position. I'm not in the position to not have an unforgiving heart towards them. Am I forgiving them? They haven't sought it, but I I need to have an unforgiving, I mean, I need to have a forgiving heart towards them. I need to have a heart that desires for them to be restored that doesn't want to see them in prison. You get what I mean? This is even before Jesus died on the cross. He's setting the stage of what the kingdom's like. Ephesians. Look, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Paul, the apostle Paul, then goes on and tells us this. Right? You got it? Go for it. See, he's now you're afraid to go. (laughs) Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that's noise, Ah, chaos, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. P.S. Slander is one of the most insidious and prevalent sins within the church today. I'm going to say that again. That is legitimately, I'm telling you, that is a sin that has corrupted and eating away at the church today. And you justify it by what? I'm just warning people. I need to remind people that Ted, 15 years ago, was an alcoholic because you know, Ted was very rude. And what if Ted's rude again? He's fake. He's fake. It's only been 15 years. Someone doesn't really change until after 20. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put away from you, along with all malice. That's hate. And I put this verse, because I could have just won 32. But he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know what I found in the church today? This is, and this, we're talking about brothers, believers. We will go out and evangelize to people. People who do some evil, evil things. Churches and pastors go to death row, and they should. And they are preaching the gospel to people who have done terrible things. And will not offer forgiveness to the member of their church will not offer forgiveness to their pastor, will not offer forgiveness to their husband or wife. We literally offer more grace to the world and grace of forgiveness than we do to the people who claim the name of Christ. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes I'm like, I'd rather just be that new Christian over and over and over again because you're nice to me then. I don't know what the, the number is but apparently, I think it's maybe a year after about a, 365 days exactly at noon on that 365 day fifth five that's not a word 365th day. Guess what? I don't get grace anymore because I should know better. Tell me I'm wrong. Think about some of you have been so hurt by churches. I can't tell you how many times I hear this. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Right? Remember that video that was real popular a long time ago and that resonated with everyone. Jesus loves his church, but he loves his church enough to tell us the way we're supposed to act. Think about it. Think about church culture. Think about whether it seeks to restore people or cancel them. Get rid of them. Which is it? Maybe that's some of you. And this message, though, should convict all of us. There's some in the room that need to hear how the master that the compassionate heart of the master, that he cares for you, even if other people are refusing to give you a chance, that they've put you in a prison, a prison of what? Loneliness, brokenness, unforgiveness, slander, hurt, pain, all of the things that they've done to you to make you earn it, and you can't earn it, can you? You can't earn it. That's the thing about breaking trust and sinning. You can never make, completely take away the thought in their head. You know what I mean? You can't. And that's what they want you to do. They want you to make them feel better so they never have to worry again that you're going to hurt them. But you can't, can you? You can't go back in time. No matter what you do, it doesn't make up for it. Some of you wives keep your husbands in a prison and justify it because of what they did to you last week, 10 years ago. You Wicked servant. Husbands, you do the same thing. How many husbands do that? You justify your hatred and your hurt and your harsh words by the fact that she doesn't respond the way she's supposed to. If she just learned her lesson, right? We don't talk about that in the church, do we? But it's a fact. Why do we spend so much time? Listen, I'm very leery of, of celebrity pastors too, right? I get it. I get why we are. And a lot of times, man, you know, I almost hate to say it, but it comes out. You know, there's a guy, he was Justin Bieber's famous pastor, right? You can Google it. His name's Carl Lentz. I don't necessarily, I didn't, you know, agree with everything the guy said. I don't know the guy's heart. He, he, got, he did some pretty stupid stuff while he was a pastor. He messed up pretty big. But he confessed. He resigned. Well, he was, it doesn't matter. And I still see all the time online. It's so funny. So funny. There's no desire to see this man restored. There's, all we want to keep bringing out is all the evidence that he's a monster. Maybe he is. Maybe he is a monster. But that's not our job. Repentance. Listen, let me tell you something. People can do horrible things and something wakes them up and they recognize what they've done and truly, truly have a repentant heart. You ever been trapped in something you know you should change? But yours isn't the big one, right? Yours is just slander. Yours is just pride. Yours is just hate. Yours is just bitterness. Yours is just wrath. But then you justify it. It's holy, right? That's holy wrath. Don't kid yourself. So, if you still struggle with that, who's to say someone else who's apologized, I don't know, for pornography and wrestling and confessed it to you? They didn't have to tell you. That's a, Todd said pornography, right? It's hard to believe. It could go on and on and on. That they couldn't have a struggle that they want out of? That's the danger of sin, man. It gets its claws in you, and it's real hard to get out of it sometimes. Not because God's powerless, but because we have a hard time letting go. Maybe it's an addiction. We'll literally offer more grace to cocaine addicts than to pastors who mess up. That's not a shame on cocaine addicts, right? But I'm just saying, right? In the world's eyes, you could be a drug dealer. Hey, praise God. He repented. But Lord forbid you're a ministry leader, a wife, a husband who messes up, son, daughter, co-worker. Forgiveness is not optional for the Christian. It's not optional. Something that may help you guys, and this is really interesting, is forgiveness is not a feeling. Get it out of your head that you're going to ever feel like forgiving. You're not. And that's something that hurts a lot of people because I will say this, sometimes they tell you that forgiveness means you have to never hurt again. Well, that's too much pressure. You can't heal that wound yourself. What makes forgiveness so radical is not pretending that it didn't happen, but is literally recognizing, owning, accepting that they owe you, that they wronged you, that they have a debt to be paid to you in a way, and still choosing to release them of that. Forgiveness can also be a process but you have to be willing to go down that road. You know, the idea of like someone terribly hurts you and you say, I forgive you, and then you're not allowed to, to ever feel that again is ridiculous. That's not human and it's not realistic. But sometimes because we know that and we feel like that's put on us, we reject that whole thing. The enemy has tricked a lot of people in the church by twisting things too and saying you're just protecting your family. You're protecting your heart. They twist verses, right? Guard your heart for this wellspring of life and use that to justify unforgiveness. That's not truth. If I was a non-Christian looking at our culture, it's so funny. I look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to do a whole series on Acts. It's pretty crazy. Crazy stuff. Beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 2, it's so fascinating. They preach and a lot of people get saved. And then it says they, the way that they live together. At the end of Acts 2, Acts two that people saw the way they treated each other and numbers were added to them daily. They were so forgiving, so loving, so sharing that people looked at them and said, "This I don't know what this is, but I want it. What happens in the 21st century? What's the common word? What's the common thought when it comes to church? No, not cult. I mean, it could be, right? Yeah, could be. Sorry, it's just unexpected. That's my friend. Yeah, it could be cult. But no, it's, why would I go be a part of that? You think they don't realize that we come to them preaching forgiveness and mercy and grace, but see that we don't put it into practice within our own culture? Are you kidding me? Do you really think they don't see that? Okay, cool, and we wonder why they're confused with the gospel. Okay, I know, I get it. You're going to say, Jesus will forgive me now, but if I mess up again, you guys are going to hate me, go public and destroy me, tell everybody everything I did, and put me in a prison. There's no way I want to be a part of that. How did that happen? It's unbelievable. And so... It's so funny, then, then the enemy is so tricky, man. And our, we, we have these two extremes. You have that extreme, right? Then you have the extreme that says there is no sin. So we, we forgive everything and there is no sin and everybody can do whatever they want. That's not real either because that gets rid of forgiveness still, right? It still makes it easy because I never have to forgive because we can all do what we want, man. Also, if you're in this room, and I know this for a fact, some of you remnant members, I get a little fired up because I'm allowed to be, I'm their pastor. You have used this to demand forgiveness from them. Like you are owed that. And you use it like right there, man. Your heart shows. Because at the end of the day, this kind of forgiveness is only for what? A servant. A Christian. Stop looking for loopholes in your forgiveness. Stop asking me the what ifs. First of all, a lot of you don't have haven't had things happen to you that really even deserve a what if. Now, some of you have. Some of you have terrible, terrible things in there. Your heart desires to, but you don't know how to wrestle. I get that. And it makes me sad because everybody else saying that they're in those situations makes light of yours. You have a real question because something, something we can't fathom happens to you that you have to now learn to, to forgive and you want to, but you can't, right? You can't talk about because everybody does that. Oh, this is so terrible. He stepped on my toe. How could I ever forgive someone like that? And maybe you had to deal with being molested. Let's just say that. With being hurt, broken, divorced. It doesn't matter. We need to stop making loopholes. What does that say about our heart when we're looking for a way we don't have to forgive? And make no mistake, forgiveness is for your heart too. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know the hurt that that happened to you. Here's the beauty, is that God says, right, every careless word, every action that he sees, that he is just, they're not going to get away with it. You get it? If they don't know him, they're not going to get away with it. You don't have to worry about that. That. But here's the beauty, you get to remove yourself from that position, that the hold they have over you through what they've done is gone. You've given it to the master, then let him be the judge. And maybe, just maybe, and this is a hard place to be, I've had stuff done to me too, right, That that... It's hard. Just maybe God will grab that person like he grabbed you. And that's what our heart truly should want, right? A true, true transformation. I want to talk briefly, and I mentioned it earlier, we live in a cancel culture. Anyone like cancel culture? I was tricking you. Don't raise your hand. It's going to change the way I look at you, right? Cancel culture. Let me tell you about cancel culture. Oh Man, I have a crazy story. I ran into one of the people at Walmart yesterday tried to cancel me several week like a month and a half two months ago true story i i don't know if it's probably not useful to tell you what i wanted to do no i didn't want to hurt them but i wanted to take my camera and be like hey remember me and i was going to tape them because i didn't trust them you know they were going to say great. and then i was like if i do that that is definitely going to backfire right <laughs> it doesn't matter but i think god put that, put me in that position also because i i'm such a weird dude like and that that's because i i'm in const, i'm in constant awareness Okay, there's a lot of things I'm not good at, but I certainly know I'm a sinner. And I sit there and I start to get mad, and then I see this person going around just shopping for like, man, I'm gonna tell you, for notebooks in the school section, probably for the kids, and immediately I'm like, that's someone's mom. They're wrong still. But that's someone's mom. Cancel culture is the complete opposite of a Christ-like mindset. It says that someone that change is impossible until they meet some sort of standard that. A group of really loud minority, like a minority meaning not race, meaning number of people. That's me trying to avoid being canceled, right? A number of people that are really loud says that we can come back. I've seen things like they deserve to be stoned. That is so ironic. I see a Christian says stone them. I'm like, what? Have you not read the Bible? Jesus deals with that very thing. Cancel culture is the complete opposite, guys. In the church, we got to get rid of it got to get rid of it you know who's going to separate the wheat from the tares the goats from the sheep it's not you it's Jesus because here's the scary thing I don't know so much if you should be afraid of the one that you can see you might maybe you should be afraid of the wolf in sheep's clothing that you don't know and the only one that can protect us from that's who Jesus there's people that are going to literally till the very end trick us all And I've said this before. We spend so much time trying to find wolves and shoot them that we're shooting a lot of sheep. We're hurting a lot of believers. And we are damaging the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a lot of people, you know, forgiveness is one of those things when you preach about it. it, it, My mind even goes to the things that I know happen to some people. And I mean this. For me sometimes... I always say it, maybe it's because I'm the oldest, right? I was the oldest in my family. I'm the, the, I don't know. But there, I have that tendency of, like, I can forgive if someone does something to me. But, like, when someone I love, something happens, like, it's hard for me to forgive because I just want to be that. Like, I am, I'll be judge, jury, and executioner, right? That's what I want. The reason I'm saying that is maybe that's your situation. When I think about forgiveness, I know that there's people that have been hurt so badly that I almost feel bad telling you the biblical truth. Because I don't want that hurt. You know what I mean? I don't want you to minimize that hurt because that's not what's happening here. Forgiveness does never minimizes the hurt, ever. The beautiful thing is, is that when we release that, okay, when we let go of that, we're acknowledging that our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our wrath, it's not going to heal that place in us that was wounded. But the master can. And when we release the control of like, well, I need to feel safe, right? I need to be healed. I need all that. And we give it back to him, the only person that can heal it. We open ourselves up to being healed, to being restored. Reminds me of the man, the lame man by the pool, right? The first words Jesus said to him are, do you want to be healed? Why? Because he had held on to this idea that if I can make it to that pool, I can heal myself. He had to get him to the point of like, are you willing to stop this? Do you want to be healed now? And once he said yes to the master, then healing came. Forgiveness is both for the person being forgiven because God has a plan for them. And here's the thing. What does John 3.17 tell us? Anyone, anyone know the Verse. The 3.16 is, right? For God so loved the world, they gave his only son that over puts their faith in him, right, has eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that everyone might be safe through him. Whew. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that it can take a murderer called Saul, right, and turn him into the apostle Paul. Picture that. Why do you think Jesus picked him? Whew. You imagine that somebody comes in here and shoots like six of us, and then I don't know, six months later, a year, he goes, "God has spoken to me. I'm here to lead you." Now you understand the situation that Paul faced. I, I, if you're like me, I'm like, "Get out of here, right? I'm gonna stone you." Mm. Of course, we use common sense examples. Spouses, there's spouses in this room today that are unforgiving. Let me spin this example. I, I just wrote examples. I love this. So your wife has forgiven you for your abusive, hateful, domineering language, but you punish her for spending $10 over and over and over again. How dare she? How dare she spend your hard-earned money? She's got to learn. <laughs> Who are you? Sounds awful lot like the unforgiving servant, doesn't it? You wicked servant. Repent. I know for a fact that exists in this room. You think anybody wakes up any Christian and says, you know what, I'm the unforgiving servant. No. They don't think that. But you need to read this not as like, man, that's right. A lot of do- There are people, there are husbands in this room that will hear that before I said that and think that the, that, that parable is for the wife who spent the $10 and not for them, Right? who constantly, verbally, and mentally abuse their wife. That's crazy talk. Or how about wives, that your husband is, was foolish? doesn't matter the level of foolishness, right? Sometimes he's guilty of the worst crime of all. He's not as good as Susie's husband. Oh, my goodness. If he would just be like Bob, then everything would be great in our life. Right? Is this starting to become a little more real to you now? That it's not always about five million dollars. It's not always about, uh, you know, the horrible things. But that these things matter too. Children forgiving their parents for the wrongs that they caused them. I'm not talking about even the illegal ones, right? For the hurts. That's hard. I know parents that have come back and apologized and I'm sorry and that child refuses to and feels justified because we live in a culture that idolizes victimhood. So they get that, right? You, You get to be a victim your whole life and get sympathy when instead maybe you should trade that in for healing, restoration. Because if you believe you've done things and struggle, but you've changed, why can't your parent? Crazy thing, kids. Your parents are just people. How about your church family? You forgive each other? Really? Or you just avoid the person? That's a remote, right? I, I don't serve in that. I don't serve in that ministry anymore. Why? Well, Rick, uh, Rick was really rude to me last week, and I'm done with him. Did you go to him and tell him? Why would I do that? I don't know. The Bible says to you. If you're coming to give your sacrifice, someone has something to give you, leave it at the altar, go back. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Why is that? Unforgiveness turns into bitterness, which poisons our heart. I'll be honest. I have a hard time forgiving religious, arrogant, snobbish, pharisaical people comes out in my preaching sometimes. I apologize. I admit that to you. I want to be the Pharisee slayer. And then I remember that I am the Pharisee in the story. I'm never with Jesus. <laughs> because in comparison to him, but I do. And then I look at, sometimes I'll look in the crowd, and I, and I always tell people, like, people, almost, you wouldn't believe how many times people think I'm preaching to them directly, which, you know, your head's a little big. Uh, but honestly, um, I don't even, like, I see friendly face. If I look at you, you're probably friendly, not grumpy. Because that means you have a friendly face. Because some people in this room, I'm going to tell you right now, are like. And the worst part is they keep coming back sometimes, right? And their members are like, I just hate him. And I'm like, but you're here. Why are you here? I'm not making you stay here. But anyway, I got. see, there I go again. I get off topic because I struggle with that. But I sometimes see it, and I guess I start talking to the Pharisees in the room. That's, that's Like unforgiveness can even look like that. I make up Pharisees. Because I'm still so mad and bitter. Process, right? Someone, a brother, and we're talking about believers. But Now, here's how you justify it, too, a really common example. Let me tell you how you get out of it, real good loophole. Well, they're not believers, then, because they've sinned. Jesus tells us the only time that we begin to treat someone like an unbeliever is, right, in the section before this when he says, Do you go to them, they don't repent. That's someone doesn't come to you, by the way. If they come to you, they've already done it, right? They've already admitted wrong. But they sin against you, you go to them, they don't repent. You take someone with you, by the way, this is not optional. This is how the church is to function. You take someone with you, you talk to them to establish the facts. They, they go. You, you. The problem is a lot of you guys think that there aren't people out there that would do this. I've seen it. Well, I'm not changing. Okay, well then, right, we've got to take them before the church. Most of the time they won't show up for this stage. Right? They kind of take, let's say they do. The whole church kind of decides. Isn't that cool that God says, hey, we're going to let the church decide here what's going on. They still don't repent. Then he says, treat them like an unbeliever and a tax collector. They're not a believer. How do we know that? Because, I mean, they're unwilling to admit wrong and repent, right? But other than that, any stage along the way, and they repent, what are we to do with forgiveness? Based on this parable, offer it. Because that is the beauty of God's church. We are all broken people. We, we're broken in different ways. And we're all, true. those that are truthful and are trying to be more like him. But even in our best efforts, without the Holy Spirit, we fail. Heck, we fail with it, right? And God wants us to model that. Have you ever been in a position, truly? I don't want to make you raise your hand, but do it Internally where you as a Christian have messed up and you are sorry and someone doesn't offer you forgiveness and tell you that you're lying, tells you you're not a believer, tells you whatever, what does that do to your soul, your heart? Because it doesn't matter who you are. Inevitably, your mind begins to think that that's God's view of you, isn't it? They're telling me I'm not. Maybe I'm not. They're telling me I'm not worthy of forgiveness. Maybe I'm not. It did to me. I had to come to a place in my life when I had to decide that even some people I respected told me that I was too far gone. Whatever it is, right? That God doesn't want me anymore. And then this is why it's so important to know God's word. Because it's right here. I said something to someone once. It doesn't matter the story, you know. If you ever want to hear my story, I don't hide it. Um, you can also go listen to a message we have. It's on the website called "A Broken Cart." It'll kind of give you the gist of it. As people are always like, "What's the truth?" I go listen to it. I would, you know, I love to tell every detail of my life. Sometimes one because I'm prideful and stubborn. That's not good. But the other thing is to glorify God, right? <clears throat> but I remember telling someone one time, and I meant it. And I said, "Man, I pray to God you never need the grace that you're refusing to give." That's the beauty. beauty of the gospel is about restoration and forgiveness. We should want that. We should want the worst people, right? And you know what's crazy? We celebrate those stories. We celebrate the stories of the worst people coming to know Jesus, right? I've showed them before. And everybody will clap. Look at that murderer. He came to know Jesus. You ever thought about the person, the family of the person he murdered? You think that that, like, why don't we offer that to each other? If Christians don't start standing up for reality, the word of God, even though it's not easy, if we don't start doing that, we're going to continue to let right, the inmates run the asylum. We're going to continue to let, if I'm, if I'm honest, some wolves set the culture of the church today. And I'm talking about the capital C. We got to stop thinking that we're supposed to be meek. Meek will inherit the earth, right? That's what, you've misunderstood that, that we're not so supposed to, to stand up and speak truth. Jesus went, stood in front of an adulteress, a guilty woman, turned to the crowd in front of the stones and said, let any one of you without sin cast the first stone. He spoke up boldly in the face of those things and yet we sit idly by and let people set that culture. We gotta get braver. I don't care if it's the whole world. If it doesn't match the Bible, we are called to speak truth. If you think every church in this world is filled with Christians, and this town is led by Christians, you're crazy. Well, Todd, how do we know? Easy, the fruit. Notice I didn't say the works. Go read Galatians. Works of the flesh, fruit. I don't care. You know, I hate to say, of course I care if you sin, but is their fruit evident? The spirit, is it evident? Well, here's a really easy one. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So here's what I'm going to leave you with today. Okay, I'm going to give you the keys to forgiving like the master. And we take this directly from the section. I went through, and you can go through and read it. I'm not going to go back, okay? Well, I probably will. Who am I kidding? That's who I am. All right? If I can find it. If I have it in my Bible. All right, well, you can go look. Uh-huh. Where did he go? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> me out of pity for him. <clears throat> Number one, and this is in HCSB, but you'll, these words, are, they're all in there. They just mean in different order, but it's in there, this section. How do you forgive like the master? Number one, you have to have compassion. How do you have compassion? You have to, to this is hard. You have to put yourself in a, the place of a person who has wronged someone, right, and wants to make it right. You have to have compassion on someone's situation. Sometimes it's not even, man, it's crazy. I'm giving you the big ones because that's the one I have to argue, but we won't even forgive someone being late. Have compassion. Have a tender heart. Want that. Want to forgive. Number two, we see it in there, be patient. Remember what he says says to the, the other servant, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. And he wouldn't even take that. Are you willing to be patient with someone who's messed up? Or do you expect that the only way you can forgive them is if they never, ever, ever, ever take another sip of alcohol again, you won't, you, you won't forgive them. We have a 12-step program we'll accept, but we, can't, we don't really put that into practice. I wish things were that simple. And sometimes God miraculously heals people, doesn't he? he? He removes that in the moment, but sometimes it's a process. How do I know? Read about the apostles. Peter, I just told you, that guy was a knucklehead. And he became the rock of the church. What if God had given up on him after the first time? Number three, you have to be willing to forgive. Want to forgive, be patient, and be willing. That's hard, isn't it? Sometimes the only way you're going to be willing is asking God, God, help me be willing to do this. He can soften your heart right in the moment. So many times I see Christians they they don't they don't they're not willing to because again and they're good reasons like from a worldly perspective they're gonna do it again. Right? Are we saying that God can't work in that person? Can't change them? And then number four, the the key to it all: half mercy. Mercy is very simple. I've, I've it's really changed my life when I recognize the difference when Scripture talks about God has had both grace gives grace to me, but also mercy. Grace is a status. He gives me a position that I did not earn. He gives me honor that I, that I can't talk today, right? That I don't deserve. But mercy is not giving me the punishment I do deserve. You see the difference? He gives us both. You have to be willing to give mercy. Mercy is the acceptance they wronged you when they come to you, right? By the way, they're saying that I wronged you you have to release them of the debt they owe you. That's hard. 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 By the way, this might be an everyday thing. God knows your heart. An everyday thing. But here's the beauty. He is patient with you. Right? He is he he is he is compassionate towards you. He is patient towards you. He is willing and he is merciful. The things that God offer that wants us to offer to each other pales in comparison to what he offers us. We are the ones that owed 5 million. He just wants us to forgive 16 cents. He's the one that had to forgive 5 million. Imagine forgiving someone. We just think they're going to hurt us again. Imagine offering grace and mercy to someone that you know will hurt you again. Some of you in the room need to hear that, that God, if you put your faith in Jesus, he has forgiven you once and for all. Even if I tell you he hasn't, his word is true. His calling, as Romans, is irrevocable. It means he will never take it back. Jesus says, I will never let go of one of those ones, he says to the Father, that you have given me. I'll never let go of you. How beautiful is it that the forgiveness he calls us to is offered to us in spades, in spades way more. That he is good and merciful to forgive us of all unrighteousness, as tells us in 1 John. That's written to believers, that when we come to the throne, that he forgives us over and over and over and over again. Did you know that? Those of you in this room, some of you may be in the place I were, and I want to speak to your heart today. God forgives you. you. He forgives you. You don't need to live in the chains that others have put on you. And perhaps, maybe most importantly, you don't need to live in the chains you've put on yourself. Because sometimes the most unforgiving servant is ourselves. That's the case for me. She's going to come play some music, and I want to leave you with this today. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. These words should be the foundation of a Christian. Why? Why? Why should that be words that, if those words aren't adjectives that would be used to describe you, you should really you should consider where you're at. Which servant are you? Why? Because he or she that truly is a disciple of Jesus is fully aware of their desperate need for all of the above, forgiveness and grace and mercy. You can't help but forgive when you know what you've been forgiven of. They forgive much because they've been forgiven much. I'm going to ask you a question today, and I know there's hurt in there for some of you. God can help you do this. Where's your heart? Are some of you in here pharisaical in your spirit? You've set yourself on the throne. You are the judge who offers forgiveness and grace to who you deem is worthy. Do you offer more grace and mercy to the world and forgiveness than you do to the people in your church and the people in this room? Do you follow the example of the master or the example of the world? Do you follow the example of the master or cancel culture? Do you follow the way of the master? Or what Pastor Joe Blow says that's the complete opposite of this? This is hard, man. This is hard stuff. Who haven't you forgiven? That one that just came to your mind. Who... Aren't you forgiving right now? Who's in your life that you're keeping in chains in a prison until they pay the debt? You need to repent. What does repent mean? It means to say, God, I've done this. You have to acknowledge it, and I don't want to, right? That's hard to do. But we're only we're only given two options. We're either either the unforgiving servant or we're the other. That's it. That's it. We're the master. Right? That we're the unforgiving servant. Which are you? Which am I? What's the gospel? The well, gospel's the most beautiful thing in the world. God created everything beautiful. He told us, here's the rule. You listen to me, I tell you what right and wrong is. And much like today, we said, I reject that we decide, and sin entered the world. You can't fix it; it's inside of you. And to expect other Christians to fix themselves, to fix their broken heart, their sinful nature, is unbelievable and foolish. We can't. We are separated from God because we are no longer holy. We are guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. You are guilty. Well, Todd, I'm better than you. Awesome, but you're not better than Jesus. Unless you are, you're guilty. That's a bad situation to be in. And no matter how much we try to fix the outside and catch the symptoms, we know inherently, deep in our heart, we can't fix that part of us. That part of us that just, that, man, maybe even in the outside we've tricked everyone else, but we know our heart. We know the brokenness. We know the sins that we do in the dark when no one's looking. We know the things we're ashamed of and we can't get away from it. You can't. You don't have the ability. Religion wants you to To look the part. Christ wants you to be it. And we don't have the ability to transform ourselves. We don't, do we? You know it. So here's the thing. We inherently know it. We may rage against it. We may be angry. Some of you in the room have have rejected Christ because of the way Christians have treated you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But they're not Jesus, even if they should act like him. So who's Jesus? Well, Jesus is God made flesh. When we couldn't come to him, God came to us. He taught us the way of the kingdom. He taught us this stuff. This is what God's heart's really like. When the religious leaders tried to twist it, he came back and said, no, this is what the father's like. This is what God is like. This is what your creator's like. This is the way you're to live with each other. And here's what it's going to look like someday when, we, when, when I fix it all, because he's coming back. God will make everyone pay the payment. Someone is going to pay the debt. So Jesus of Nazareth existed. I'm not even going to debate you on this. It's, look it up. Historical, no one will say that. So who is he? C.S. Lewis says he's a liar, a lunatic, or he's exactly who he said he was, the son of God. So God died on a cross, an innocent man, took our place. He stepped in the way of the chopping block. He sat in the electric chair. He took the injection. He took the death you deserved. I deserved And on the cross, he offers something incredible. On the third day after he was buried, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. Why? So that he can be, right, the first fruit. He can show us what's going to happen. So on the cross, something incredible happens. Time doesn't exist to God. On that cross, he offers you today what he offered everyone then and was going to offer in the future, if you will come to him, you will admit your need, you'll stop holding on to your fixing yourself and and all the things you do to your bitterness, if you let go, if you admit to God, if you come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I've sinned, I don't understand it all, but I know it's broken, forgive me. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The people who told you that you got to keep that perfect standard after it are, are silly. There was only one perfect man, and we killed him. And then the beautiful thing is, he takes your sin and he gives you that would that would that would be great, but not enough because we'd mess up again. But then he gives you the benefits of his perfect life. So when the Father looks at you, he sees a spotless, perfect Jesus, the perfect life. That's grace. You don't have to understand it, but you have a choice today whether to believe the truth or live a lie. And the lie is that we can do it ourselves. You're going to have an opportunity during this time. It's called altar time. The lights are going to go off. You've never been to church. It's kind of going to look weird. But there are going to be people up here willing to pray for you. Maybe you're the believer that's been unforgiving, and maybe you're someone that has never been forgiven. Maybe you don't know Jesus. I ask you this today. If you can't say without a shadow of a doubt, Lord forbid, if a bus hits you on the way out, that you will be welcomed into the presence of God. If you can't say that, that voice in your head says that's you. If that's you today, he is speaking to you. He chose you to be here today. There's people that are willing to pray with you to show you what that's like. I was you. Nobody raised me in this thing. I just wanted Jesus. Don't leave the same as you came in today. Take this opportunity. Make it count. Have life. Be forgiven. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.